Hi, friends. It's Christy Blackburn, Davy's wife and co-founder of Nothing Is Wasted. If you guys have been around here for a while at Nothing Is Wasted, you probably heard a bit about my personal journey towards living a healthy lifestyle for myself and my family. So as a physician assistant, I've watched so many people overtaken by chronic illness, disease, unhealth. It was also a part of our own family's journey with an autoimmune disorder that prompted me to take a closer look at the everyday choices we were making and how those decisions were impacting our health. So perhaps you too have found yourself stuck in a cycle of frustration and shame and defeat as you struggle with chronic health conditions, fatigue, or yo-yo dieting. Because I know how difficult that path can be, I wanted to create a resource to empower others like you to take back your health. That's why I'm so excited to invite you to join me in January for my upcoming live online virtual wellness course called Back to the Garden, Holistic Living the Way God Intended. This eight-week course is not your typical health class. I'm so, so passionate about blending both scriptural truths with the scientific facts that help us live a holistic, intentional life when it comes to our whole selves. We want to get to the root of wellness by taking you back to the garden, the first Garden of Eden, and look at the principles God gave us when it came to caring for our health, mind, body, and soul. In this course, you'll learn holistic, God-given rhythms for living an intentional life, including rhythms around food, around your emotional and spiritual health, and your environment. This course won't prescribe you a one-size-fits-all solution, but will instead give you the tools you need for creating your own simple, easy-to-implement plan that is adaptable to your family's lifestyle. But more than that, you'll get the knowledge you need to make informed decisions and live in freedom when it comes to your health. While I'd love to offer this resource to everyone, I want to be sure to give you the space to interact with me personally and get your questions answered, as well as connect with others walking a similar journey towards health, which is why I've limited the number of spots available for this course. So from now until November 15th, you can register for the Back to the Garden Holistic Living the Way God Intended course by going to www.linenroots.com course. If you've been overwhelmed with all the information on health and wellness and have wondered how to make the changes in the right direction, this course is for you. Don't let overwhelm stop you from taking back your health and learning the God-given rhythms for living an intentional life. Make plans to join me and others just like you this January as we go back to the garden. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davy Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davy. And I'm Aubrey. We're so glad that you are with us this week for what is going to be a, I mean, this is a powerful conversation. It's an honor of Veterans (laughs) Day. But Davey, the story of, uh, this is Fernando Arroyo, who you had a conversation with, and it's uh, deep. It's crazy. It's wild. There's a particular moment in this. I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a particular moment where you're going to, listeners, I'm I'm telling you, I'm going to warn you, you're going to be like, there's no way. Mm. There's, this is this is unbelievable and it's powerful, powerful moment. Um, and so we'll talk about this more on the back end of it. Yeah. Of this, I can't wait of to this unpack conversation. This we'll unpack yeah. some of this. It's going to be really great, but yeah, Fernando, um, the Fernando Arroyo, you know, one of his is a story of, of, uh, military PTSD 
And oh, so goodness. we wanted to make sure we highlighted this as a um, special Veterans Day episode. Yeah. And so honor we also the veterans. Want, yeah. Mm-hmm. We also want to make sure that we just say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, th- I feel like it just yep. falls short, Aubrey, to I say know. thank you yep. for the the sacrifice and the service that so many men and women um, who, who serve our country that they have they've yep. committed to. And, yep. um, so we're just, we want to pause and honor that. We want to, that we thought this would be a perfect episode to release in honor of that. Yeah. And just being aware of the fact that there is a lot of pain and trauma, a yeah. lot of suffering, uh, both while people are in the, in service and afterwards. And so we want to bring awareness to that. And, um, you know, we, we hope that this episode not only encourages you guys, as you're listening, this inspires you, but also helps you realize that there is hope That's and right. there is healing in That's this. Right. And his name is Jesus. That's right. And That's right. I so also, we're really excited about this. I do want to mention that Fernando has a new book. It's called The Shadow of Death from My Battles in Fallujah to the Battle for My Soul. So after you listen to Davy's conversation with Fernando, be sure to grab a copy of that book, especially like we just said, in honor of our veterans. I yeah. think that would be a really, really meaningful thing to do. So uh, with that, Davey, why don't we go ahead and take a listen to your conversation with Fernando Arroyo. Fernando, it's so great to have you on the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Man, I uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I told you off air that we've had a little, you know, we've had a few conversations about uh, military life, military trauma. When I read your story, I was amazed by it. One, amazed at the work you're doing. Two, amazed at how God has shown up in your story. And I can't wait for our community to hear this. And so, before we kind of dive back into your story, why don't yeah. you tell us a little bit about your life right now? What what you do? What what is life like right now for Fernando Arroyo, and, and I'm not even going to try to attempt to stay <laughs> in the colloquial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Arroyo. There it is. <laughs> yeah, you got a, a lot of people have trouble rolling the R's, and that's yeah. fine. That's okay. Uh, so what I'm up to these days, uh, I work for a nonprofit called Step Forward Academy, and our goal is to, uh, we don't just help, we help Everyone, everyone's welcome to join our program. We also, we are focusing on veterans now where um, our goal is career development through mentorship and coaching. So uh, something that happens that I, that I experienced myself is, um, you know, when I came close to getting out of the army, I thought, what am I going to do? I knew it was time for me to get out. And I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do, but I had no, no direction. I had no, um, no real uh, help on how to get to where I thought I wanted to go. Yeah. So mentorship is, is really big and getting out of the army and not having mentorship, not having coaching, uh, led to not having a community going from a brotherhood in the military to getting out. And then it's kind of like, Hey, thank you for your service. You get this piece of paper. They put a stamp on it, say, you know, good luck. And really just kind of figuring things out on my own where, um, a few years after I got out, I met a friend of mine, his name's Marco Hernandez, and he was an officer in the army. He was a captain. He got out of the army as well. He was in law enforcement. He had his life together and he came alongside me and like, Hey, you were in the army. I was in the army. Mm-hmm. And he really through coaching and mentorship pushed me to where 
you know, I eventually earned my bachelor's degree and then my master of divinity. And it's all because someone came alongside me and, uh, eventually it would be people coming alongside me that would keep me from, uh, taking my own life. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you've got an, a, an incredibly powerful story, and 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 you know, real quick, one of the things you just said that just kind of you know sparked something in in me. I like I can't imagine what it's like to go from the type of mission and purpose that you you were in in the military, right, where literally every step and every breath is like life and death. You know, living on that kind of like heightened senses. And then coming back into kind of mainstream society, if you will, and trying to figure out that purpose. I mean, we talk about so much on this podcast that purpose is what propels us. It's what gets yeah. us up in the morning, right? Um, you know, Victor Frankl is going to talk about that quite a bit, the Holocaust survivor and man's search for meaning, that there is something that a higher purpose is really what elevates your sense of actualization in this world, the sense of being able to show up in this world. We don't have that purpose. It, it you you don't want to show up in this world, right? And that's yeah. that's pretty typical for humankind. So I can't imagine trying to transition from this sense of like, I mean, almost the highest purpose that you can serve from an earthly perspective in the military, to now trying to figure out where is their purpose in these mainstream society type roles. And you know, I I wonder if you in your work, if you can, uh, and of course we'll get into it with the conversation, but. What what is that like trying to transition in in those spaces? You know, yeah. Um, so the unit I was in, I was a paratrooper uh, with the 82nd Airborne, and we were always on call to go anywhere in the world within 18 hours of notification. I could be anywhere, so always bags packed, ready to go. Uh, we trained together. We um, we did everything together as brothers. It really is a band of brothers, right? And I remember when I got out of the army after my, my third combat deployment, it was a 15 month long deployment. I came back from 15 months in Iraq. I had lost friends. I had experienced, you know, it was my, my third time in combat. Mm. And I remember about two months after that 15 month deployment, two months later, I'm, I'm out here in the civilian world. And for over a month, I was living out of my duffel bag. I thought I'm going to get called back. You know, I just, it was hard for me to, to, to grasp. Like I am out. This is it. I, I'm done. I, I did. I served my time. So something I started realizing was, um, uh, that the thought that I lost that community, I lost that band of brothers came over me. Um, and being out here in the civilian world, it's a pretty selfish society. And, yeah. you know, it's just, traffic in the morning people are like get out of my way i want to get to work you know i don't care about anybody else i'm just trying to get to work or all the little things in in the army i was taught about um valuing other people more than myself right my my brothers would lay down their life for me they thought my life was more valuable than than their own and i thought their life was more valuable than mine then i get out and i transition i lost that brotherhood i don't know who i can trust uh as I mentioned earlier, I, I had an idea of what I wanted to do, but really no real direction, no real plan. So I felt alone. I felt alone and trying to figure out my purpose. And, and, uh, yeah, it, it was a pretty scary experience. Man, how is that? Uh, I'm really curious about this. You know, the, 
I hadn't thought about it till you just said this, but you're right. We're, we're a very, very selfish society and we don't even know it. And we're just kind of running in our status quo. Right. And we're very, especially in Western America and culture, we're very entitled. We're very, you know, we're very blessed. We have abundance. Um, and, and, and an experience where you're sensing this brotherhood, this community where you can trust each other wholly and fully with your life. Um, and that, and, and then you get back into this society where it's like, backbiting and, you know, stepping on each other to try to climb the corporate ladder and betrayals and mistrust and all this stuff. Right. I, I can imagine that's got to be unnerving to say the least, right. Uh, traumatizing. Um, even I'm, I'm curious how in the military, how was that trust fostered? Right. What is, what does that look like for a team or a unit? Maybe I'm asking this from a, as a leader who's building a team and building an organization, right? Like, and, and then as a, as a, as a, a leader of our family, how do I build a family team that has that sense of mission and purpose and trust and we've got each other's back and we look out for each other's lives, like what you said, value each other's lives more than our own? Because that seems to me more the way of Jesus than a lot of what our society reflects. Yeah. Um, I think it all revolves first around having a common goal. You know, after September 11, I joined just like everyone else that I was with. So we joined for a purpose. We had the same purpose, the same goal to serve, to serve our country, to serve, to defend this country. So as that, as the, as the, as the, as the goal. So in your case, let's say whatever it is, you're, you're starting a business. What, what business is it? And are these people that you're hiring, are they for that same goal? This is your vision. You share your vision. Do they support and believe in that vision that they will follow you and that they would work together to accomplish that goal? So in the military, that goal was we're going to train because we have to fight and defend the Constitution of the United States. We're going to defend freedom. We're going to keep terrorism from coming to America. We all raised our hand and said, okay, I'll do that, right? So having that common goal and then being taught that in order to accomplish this goal, we have to uh, be selfless, being selfless, being willing to make sacrifices to accomplish that goal for the betterment of the team and the accomplishment of the mission. Um, losing your, uh, I, I think what they do, what they did, like starting right from basic training, from boot camp, from infantry school, um, it was un- making us understand that we are all equal. Mm. We have different gifts. We have different abilities, just like the church. We have different yeah, gifts and abilities, right. but we're all equally saved. We're all equally loved. And we all have, you know, what is the end goal to preach the gospel to the end of the world and we're on our way to heaven. That's it. So we're all on this journey to heaven to get there. In the military, we're all on this journey to uh, accomplish the mission, you know, to defend this country. So we would look out for each other, um, consider each other above. It's all biblical. I mean, like yeah, Paul right? writes in Philippians. <laughs> sorry. you're saying, I'm like, yeah, it sounds exactly it's, like you know, what scripture says. It, yeah, it's it's humility. It's it's considering mm-hmm. others above yourself. That's humility. That's what it is. And that's what we're, we were taught. And all of that just goes together to accomplish that mission. Wow. Wow. Man, there's so much in what you have said that I feel like we could unpack for hours and hours. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, so rich. And I think you're right. I just get so disenfranchised um, seeing, you know, I didn't have a military background. I didn't grow up, you know, my, uh, uh, not much of, but I've got a few friends and, and every time they talk about what you've experienced and what they experienced, you know, whether it was in combat or whether it was in boot camp or training and stuff, it's like, man, there's something about that that is so uh, inspiring 
right? There's something about this, like working for a purpose that is bigger than yourself, yeah. coming together, banding together, looking out for each other. That That's something we all, I feel like, inherently desire. It's part of the eternity that's written on our hearts that we all inherently desire. Yeah. And, and so it's just, it inspires me, man. I, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by you and, and your life and your story, which speaking of, I'd love to get into that because God showed up in huge ways. You, you were this close to not being here, having this conversation with me. That's correct. Talk yeah. to me about that. What was the progression of how that happened? I know obviously you, you know, came out of the military and into civilian life and, and things started to really deteriorate from there. Yeah. So after September 11, I volunteered to serve. Uh, by September, I was a senior in high school. And when September 11 happened, I saw it on TV like everyone else. And then by September 29, I had raised my right hand and swore to defend this country. And um, I had to graduate high school. Um, I went through infantry school, airborne school. I was trained to parachute out of airplanes and fight the enemy. And um, I served half of my time in a reconnaissance platoon going, you know, dressing up like a tree or a bush wearing what's called the ghillie suit. And being all sneaky, carrying out reconnaissance and sniper operations and um, going to army ranger school and, you know, doing all this training. But then um, my first deployment was to Fallujah, Iraq in 2003 and 2004. That was my first taste of combat. And when I came back from that first deployment, uh, I knew something was wrong where, um, you know, after experiencing IEDs and rocket and mortar attacks and, you know, combat being shot at and all that, any time I heard a bang, someone slammed the door or something. I mean, there were times uh, I remember visiting my parents after Fallujah and it was garbage day. And I heard a, a garbage truck lift up the dumpster and shake it. And it was like a boom, you know, just a boom, boom, yeah, boom. Right. And I just dove to the living room and yelled, incoming, get down. And my parents, my brother, they're just looking at me like, what is happening? And to me, I started laughing. I got up. My mom was crying and she asked me if I was okay. I said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Then I went to Afghanistan, came back experiencing the same symptoms, but they kept getting worse. Then I went to a third combat deployment to Beijing, Iraq for what was called the surge in 2006, 2007. And after those 15 months, so I spent about uh, over two years of my life in, in combat. I came back. I'm, I'm in the civilian world. When you're, when you're in war, you don't have time to mourn. You don't have time to mourn the losses of your friends. We do have some ceremonies, but it's okay. It's over. We paid our respects. Maybe I shed a few tears and then it's okay. Get your gear on. You're going to go back out there. We have to keep fighting. Right. So when I, when I got out of the army, I, I had, that's when I had time to process and reflect on all the losses and all the trauma that I had never unpacked. I had never expressed. So about Three years after getting out of the army, I started having uncontrollable crying spells. Um, I could hear a song on the radio that reminded me of someone that died or an event in my, uh, in the, my military experience that was tragic. And I remember driving to college, you know, I'm trying to be a good college kid, whatever, trying to be a civilian. And, um, yeah, I, I remember I just started crying. I started crying and I had to pull over on the freeway and just, you know, I, I was telling myself, stop crying, stop crying. So what was happening, and I figured this out later, was we're kind of like, we're like a glass of water. Mm. And 
every traumatic event, you're just pouring water into this glass. And if you're not processing your trauma, if you're not talking about it, if you're not being uh, open and honest about the things that you're struggling with, that water isn't being emptied out. It's just filling the glass and it keeps filling and filling and filling. So these crying spells and, and then later the nightmares, it was the, the cup was full. The cup was full and it was overflowing with trauma. And the, those crying spells were the, the water overflowing those crying spells, yeah. the nightmares, all of that. It was just, it was my mind and my body saying, we need healing. This is not right, you know? So eventually, uh, reflecting back, right? We talked about me getting out of, of the military, doing these amazing things and jumping out of planes and going to war and being in a brotherhood. Yeah. To then being, being, feeling alone, feeling like I have no one. So I, I started thinking maybe the best days of my life were behind me. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, I've lived a good life and it's time for me to die. And I started having, um, suicidal ideation. I started every day I was thinking about ways that I could die, whatever it was, whether it was uh, taking my own life or, uh, maybe one day. And, 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 you know, I was, and we'll get into that, uh, wherever you want to go. Um, but I was going to church. I was, but I did not trust the church that I felt that I could open up. Yeah. So I was, I was carrying all this on my own and I was, I remember watching the kids play outside, like after church or playing. And I thought, well, if one of the kids ran to the street and a car's going to hit him, I would die a hero if I pushed the kid out of the way and took the hit for him. You know, that just thinking about ways that I could die, but still be remembered as being a good person. It, it was really sad, but that's the point I reached. Yeah. Wow. You know, the holidays can be some of the most difficult days after loss. When I lost my late wife, Amanda, in November of 2015. We celebrated Thanksgiving right afterwards, Christmas right after that. And figuring out what to do with the past traditions or navigating the painful reminders of a holiday without someone you love can be absolutely devastating. And we know there's no magic solution to making it through the holidays, but we want to help you as you move through those days. So on Thursday, November 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to be hosting a new masterclass called Hope for the Holidays, Navigating the Season When It Hurts, with our very own Amy Sylvester, who's a certified coach and staff member at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. During this time, Amy's going to help you as you enter the holiday season. She's going to share with all of us when and how to grieve and when and how to celebrate how to handle traditions and triggers and practical tips for navigating the holiday season when it hurts and listen so much more. So I want to invite you to be a part of this masterclass live. The best part about it, it's completely free. All you have to do is sign up at nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. And we'll send you an email with all the instructions you need to join the conversation that night. Again, that's Thursday, November 10th at 8 PM Eastern time, but go ahead and sign up right now. If you can't make it on November 10th, but you want to catch the replay, all of our masterclass replays are available exclusively to our community plus members for just $20 a month or $200 a year. 
There on Community Plus, you can access all of our Nothing Is Wasted content, including past masterclasses, curated pathways, live coaching replays, bonus episodes, mini courses, and so much more. Join today by going to nothingiswasted.com slash community plus or following the link in the show notes here. Walking through the holidays after loss can feel downright impossible, but we know there are ways to navigate that season with hope and healing, and we want to help you do so. Join us on November 10th for this very special masterclass. Can you unpack that just a little bit? I know you just said uh, a statement that it's, it feels like there's a lot more underneath that statement to the, the we're having trouble trusting the church to open. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's a lot of people's experience. Um, I'm I'm curious as to why that was your feeling and your sentiment at that time. Yeah, um, the level the the brotherhood that I experienced in the in the army. Um, it's just it, it's forged through the fire. The baptism of fire is what we call combat. Yeah. When I was in some of the most dangerous situations in my life, we're taking fire. We're surrounded by the enemy. It's it's this is it. I today could be the day that I die. To my left and my right were my brothers with me. They did not. No one ran away. They were willing. To, to be there right there in the fire with me, you know, that's the ultimate uh, proof of trust and love. That's love. Wow. Getting out in the civilian world, going to church. How do you, how do you build that trust and that love? That's like, but well, we can get into that too, but uh, <laughs> no, I do want to get into that. Right, right, right. How <laughs> do you build I, that? What you're saying right now, I mean, Fernando, you know, I've experienced quite a bit as a pastor in terms of just like, feelings of betrayal, people walking away, you know, walking away for, you know, uh, good reasons, walking away from the church that you pastor and other people walking away just because it got hard. Right. And I, when I think about community and I study community and I, I read about like places where great community happens, most of what you see is testimony of military community is great community, right. For the good, the bad, and the ugly, no matter what's going on, you know, maybe some of that community doesn't reflect, right. That, um, a real a real wholesome culture that the church wants its community to reflect necessarily at, at all times, but, but it does reflect this, this truism and this loyalty that you can't, when you're in combat, you can't run away. If something gets bad, you you have no option. You have to be with each other. right? Yeah. But that's not the case in Western American culture in church world. It's like, as soon as something gets a little bit dicey, some kind of tension between relationships, boom, they're out because you can find another church down the yeah. block. You can yep. move to another city, move to another community. You can escape all of that tension and yeah. that awkwardness, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. And that's why I couldn't trust the church because uh, for, for the the church I'm at now is, is, is Mariner's Church. Mariner's mm-hmm. Church has community. That's the key word, community. The church I was at when I got out of the army did not have community. It was more of like, hey, we're here on Sunday. I know who you are. Hi, how are you? How have you been? Praise, worship, hear the sermon. Cool. Hey, uh, if you can make it to midweek Bible study, great. But there was no sharing. There was no, because this is the thing. I'm not going to be vulnerable and share if no one else is doing that. Yeah. 
I'm not going to do that. Like, well, I'm just going to open up and throw all my, my dirty laundry, so to speak, just throw everything out there. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm going through. And no one else is doing that. No one else. There's no personal relationship with each other as brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no vulnerability. There's no accountability in that sense either, because we're yeah. supposed to uh, pray for one another, confess our sins to each other. Right. Right. So that sense of community wasn't there. And so I thought, well, no, I, I'm not going to be vulnerable and open up. And then what could happen? And in my head, I thought if I told people the things I did in war or that I was thinking uh, that my best, the best days of my life were behind me, they would probably tell me you're not a real Christian. You lack faith. That's why you feel that way. And, you know, just feeling, I, I felt like I was going to be judged and condemned for what I was going through. So I kept it to myself. Wow. Wow. So you get to this place where you have a lot of this, you know, uh, just feeling of helplessness, hopelessness, uh, uh, loneliness, right? This isolation. You're, 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 you're carrying all this by yourself. You've got a lot of these um, ideations of suicide. What happens next? So the plans that I had, right, I got out. I wanted to be in law enforcement. That did not work out. So I found myself with a bachelor's degree in criminology and no law enforcement agency would hire me. Um, so then I thought, okay, well, what am I going to do? And I remember applying to different, like just random jobs. It's like, okay, I, I, I need to, well, I need to work because I was using the GI bill to go to school. And that's how I was going to school was my full-time job. Mm. Well, I, you know, worked myself out of a job by getting my degree. Well, now I need to actually get a job somewhere else. And, uh, I find myself, uh, working for a wholesale, um, warehouse and, they hired me to be a shopping cart collector. So I went from being a squad leader in the 82nd Airborne, being in charge of an, uh, a nine-man uh, airborne infantry team and having gone through war three times and all this, you know, all the cool military stuff. And then having a bachelor's degree from a prestigious university. And, and all I could do was collect shopping carts. Wow. So I remember collecting shopping carts and just feeling like a failure, just like a complete failure. Wow. And I thought, why, what, what's, what's my, you know, we talked about purpose. What's my purpose. Mm. I have no purpose. I thought I maybe, you know what? I served my purpose. That was it. My, my biggest accomplishment will forever be that I served and that in the military, that was my purpose. I did it. Mm. Um, now I'm just collecting shopping carts. I think it's time for me to, it's time for me to go. That's what I thought. So one day after a long day at work, I stopped at the convenience store close by and I purchased a lot of alcohol. And then, uh, I remember I was just in a very dark place. Excuse me. And, uh, and I remember I thought I don't want to live anymore. There's just nothing. There's no purpose. I experienced the brotherhood that I had that I will never experience again. I, I 
you know, I've helped out at church. You know, I, I've, I've done good. Yeah, I've lived a good life. So I went home and I just closed all the blinds and I don't even know what I just like turned on the TV. It was probably on mute. And uh, I, I was just drinking and drinking and drinking, just feeling depressed and sad. I passed out. I woke up to another nightmare and I felt so miserable. These nightmares were so vivid, so strong. Um, later I was told they were called death dreams. Um, it's just the brain's way of processing the, my near death experiences in war. So I woke up and I, I went to the fridge. I grabbed the beer. I grabbed my pistol. I sat on my couch, you know, it's dark. I'm in this small studio apartment and I'm drinking a beer and tears are just flowing down my cheeks. Cause I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm just. I think this is it. I think this is it. It's time for me to, to, to just end this. I could end this pain right now. So I grabbed the pistol and I, I dropped the beer. I put the pistol in my mouth and I was just crying. I mean, I remember the tears rolling down my cheeks. And then I, with my thumb, I deactivated the safety on the pistol and I put the pistol in my mouth and I, I was just, I was, I was, I was done. I was just done. I was defeated. And then I remember in my mind, I said, God, if you're there, save me. And it was just silence. And I'm sitting in this dark studio apartment in silence. And I thought, okay, God's not here. And, uh, and I remember. I put my thumb on the trigger and I said, okay, this is, you know, I just, I'm not going to feel anything. I'm just going to slowly squeeze on this. And then it's all just going to end. This, this pain is going to end. And uh, I, I, I waited on God a little bit and like, nope. Yeah. He's God's not coming. So I started slowly. I thought, okay, I'm apply pressure to the trigger. This is just going to be a surprise. I closed my eyes. I had my thumb on the trigger and then I heard a boom and I got scared. I remember just like the, it felt like, like being, uh, it felt like electricity flowing through my body. Like this shock, this boom, like, whoa, this jolt, this jolt. And I, I dropped the pistol and then I looked around me and I saw there was no blood. There's no blood. I thought, well, what happened? And I, Check the back of my head. I was, you know, feeling myself for blood, feeling like, what was this bang? And I looked around and in my small studio apartment to the right of the couch, I had a, 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 an office desk with my computer and my Bible was on it. Well, that Bible flew off the desk to the ground. It was just, it just flew off, hit the ground. And that was the bang that I heard. And I immediately, I just fell to my knees and I started praying. I just started praying. I said, God, I surrender. I need help. I need help. Only you can heal me. And, uh, yeah, I remember I thought, God, if you're there, save me. And then when I heard no answer, I thought, God's not there. He doesn't care. Oh, he was there. <laughs> he was there. He, he, God showed up and he saved my life. I, I mean, what else can I say? 
He's the one who saved my life. He saved me. He stopped me at my lowest moment from killing myself. And he had plans. And I had no idea what my future would be like. But I knew that it was time for me to surrender. It was time for me to just uh, stop holding on to all this stuff. Stop thinking that because of my military training and the things I've done that I was just strong enough on my own to, to, you know, I could handle this. I don't need to talk to anyone, you know, just kind of going through the motions in life, feeling depressed and just saying, Oh, I just got to suck it up. No, I, I didn't have to suck it up. God was there to listen to me. And it was time for me to seek a community and to open up. Wow. My gosh, Fernando, I am dumbstruck by that. Um, I mean, I read your story before this. But I did not. I didn't read to the detail of what you just explained to me. That is unbelievable. I don't know if I've ever heard anything, an account that is that um, just vivid and intense, but also uh, such a such a real and palpable way that the world shows up in someone's darkest moment. Yeah. My God. And I can I can tell that that's still very very. I mean, you know, of course it would be, but I, I'm curious as to to why it's, you know, you got choked up with emotion while you were talking about that right there, and I, I just want to hear your thoughts on that. What what makes that so tender and sacred, even as you're sharing it right now? So, I owe. I am alive because of God. That's it. That I am alive because he saved me. He was there. He has been there. He loves me. He loves us. Anyone listening, God loves you. Um, what, what, there's no limit to the love that he has for us. There's the sacrifice he made on the cross for our sins. I mean, you would think like, man, I, I mean, that's already above and beyond. Like, wow, that is, that is the love. And yet there I was, me, you know, you think, uh, who am I? I'm, you know, one of whatever six billion people in this world or now probably seven billion, who knows. And yet, and, and he is God, you know, omnipresent. Yeah. His love is, is, is a love that, um, we can never fully understand. And there I was one person in a studio apartment in, a, in, in the entire world with 6 billion plus people, but he was there with me, mm. you know, it's like, what, how, how, what is this that the creator of the universe knows me and loves me and, and has, you know, we think of things in like our time and space, you know, time, like he has the time for me. Wow. Who am I? Who am I? But yeah, he, he does have the time because he's lives out of time. He's infinite. And he was there. He made a personal appearance in my life. Mm. And, uh, yeah, you know, sharing my story, writing this book was very difficult um, because I knew God wanted me to share this, my story. Yeah. And it's not for me. It's, it's for him. It's to give him glory. And it's to, it's to help veterans and their families. Yeah. You know, 22 veterans a day is the statistic right now. 22 veterans a day commit suicide. I was almost one of those veterans. 
now I, I could turn around and share the hope that we have in, in Christ and say life is worth living and that we are special. And, and God, like I said, he showed up. He showed up for me. That's right. he, he will show up for you. And I mean, that's why I get choked up. It's wow. just so amazing. Unbelievable, bro. Wow. Hey, friends. I, I know that so many of you who are listening to this are currently carrying a heavy weight of pain and loss. I mean, after all, that's probably what drew you to our podcast. And here's what I know. I know when we start to process what's going on in our lives, we can often find ourselves paralyzed by the pain and not really knowing where to go from here. We even begin to to hear or tell ourselves lies like, this is the end of your story. This will always define you. And, and trust me, I've, I've been there. But, but I've also, as I've come through it, realized that those are just that, they're lies. This doesn't have to define you. This isn't the end of your story. With the help of others, I was able to navigate my way out of that valley. Listen, at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we exist to help you navigate your pain and even find purpose in that pain. So if you're new to our community and you're wondering where to start, or if you've been with us for some time and you're just looking to take a next step, I want to invite you to a free webinar that I'm hosting just for you. It's called Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story No Matter What You've Gone Through. In this webinar, I'm going to share with you a little bit of my own journey of how God met me and and guided me after losing my wife, Amanda. And I'm going to teach you five critical steps that you'll have to take in order to rewrite your story. The webinar is an hour and a half long, but I promise you, it will be well worth your time because in this webinar, you're going to learn how to regain a sense of agency and begin thriving, not just surviving, but thriving in the midst of trying circumstances. I'm going to teach you why having more questions than answers is an essential part of moving forward. I'm also going to teach you how to get rid of the overwhelming negative emotions that tend to bog you down and get you stuck. We're going to talk about the one keystone decision that is proven to get you out of your pain. And I'm going to teach you how to listen to the right voices when everyone seems to have an opinion on what you should do next. And listen, we're going to talk about a ton more. So if you're feeling weighed down, or paralyzed by the pain that you're experiencing, I want you to know you don't have to stay there. I would love to be your guide and show you the way back to thriving. So here's what you need to do. Go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here to sign up for this free webinar. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just click the webinar link on the show notes of this episode. We've made it extremely easy for you to sign up, and we're offering multiple date and time options for this webinar in order to work with your calendar. So go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Just click the webinar link that we've included in the show notes of this episode to sign up for your spot on this webinar. I believe this one step could be the very breakthrough that you need to put you on the redemptive path that God has for you. I'm in your corner. Can't wait to connect with you soon. Go ahead and sign up now. Look forward to seeing you. You know, I, I imagine still, you know, how, how many years ago was this? Man, this was probably back in 2013. 2013. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, geez. So, not 10 years ago almost, right? Almost a decade ago. And you're, I'm sure there's still a lot of, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about your journey after this, but I'm sure there's a lot of still lingering effects of trauma 
PTSD in your life, but I'm curious over the past decade, how, you know, has God showed up there in that apartment, but how has he shown up in kind of this uh, now a healing journey that he's brought you on? And, and what have you learned about the, the elements or components of untangling that trauma that has been so present and real in your life? Um, so after, you know, that moment and, and surrendering, seeking help, my friend from high school, he also served in the army and he got a job at the, at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And it just so happens that his job was to get veterans connected to help because the, the VA was, uh, and the U S the, you know, the, the U S government was uh, starting to see how, uh, the effects of war on veterans and returning and the suicide rates and all that. And so he started pushing to help veterans. So my buddy kept reaching out to me prior to this event. He kept, he was persistent. Uh, his name's Luis España and he was persistent. And I remember I said, God, I surrender. I need help. Whether it was the next day or a few, I'm not sure on the details. I might've been the next day. He gives me a call and he's like, dude, you, you need help. I know you need help. He just knew it. He said, I know, I know what you signed up to do. And I can't imagine the things you've saw, you've seen. I know you need someone to talk to. And I was still resistant. Even after that God moment, I was still, well, well you know, well, mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And he said, look, I will pick you up. I'll buy you breakfast and I'll take you to the VA and get you set up. I said, you had me at breakfast. So <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite meal. <laughs> like, Oh, food. Yeah. Right. I'll be there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he did that. He picked me up. We went to breakfast. We went to the VA. Next thing I know I'm, and I, you know, it's, it's so I was still resistant. Even after that God moment, I was still resistant. Uh, I get to the VA health health clinic and, uh, I'm asked to fill out this form and answer questions. You know, have I ever, have I been a war? Did I lose friends? Did I ever shoot anyone? Uh, all these questions. And I lied. Yeah. I lied. I was afraid again. It's, um, how, ah, man, like being vulnerable, not only as a man, most, you know, highest suicide rates are among men. Um, just kind of like, no, you got to suck it up, you know, whatever. Um, and then also among veterans, it's just, we're trained to like to fight and to win and to be strong and all this. And um, so I was still kind of, I was still uh, embarrassed to share uh, what I was going through. But then I got called into the office with a, a guy named Bob Weems. I'll never forget him. Hmm. Clinical social worker. And then Bob, he says, you know, based on your answers, you don't need us. I said, okay, can I leave? And he's like, no, I think you're lying to me based on your military history. Yeah. He called me out. And that was when uh, he told me, look, I'm here to help you. And I finally started opening up wow. and I said, okay, what do you want to know? So that process started that, that moment started a process where for the next two years, I was meeting with him once uh, the first year, the first few months I was meeting with him twice a week. And I was just being, I mean, it was just confessing everything everything, every, all the nightmares, all the trauma, all the experiences, everything, just unloading this, unloading, unloading. And each time I did that, every session, I felt a lighter load. Mm -hmm. It was just the, the, it was just going away, going away. 
And being able to talk to him about it also helped me to be more like to be open and honest with God about it in my prayers. Yeah. You know, I think of Adam and Eve where in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter three, they 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 sinned and they were embarrassed and they hid when they heard God walking through the garden. And we do that today. That is human nature. We hide. And I was trying to hide from God. You can't hide from God. Yeah. You can't hide. He knows he knows all things. So I was, you know, I started in my prayer life. I started truly confessing my, my, my sorrows and sufferings to God and asking him for help and healing. And he delivered. So it was through talking to a clinical social worker and being open and honest with Christ uh, in my prayers that I found healing. So what I was doing every time I shared was I'm taking this, you know, we're like a cup where the, the trauma, it's like water that fills this cup. And if you're not um, re- releasing that trauma, you're not processing it, sharing it, you know, coming to God with it, then that cup's just going to start overflowing with the trauma. And that's what the crying spells were. That's what the nightmares were. It was my my mind, my my body could only take so much trauma, just like anyone else. And it has to, I, I call it um, psychological vomit, where yeah. it's just spewing out, you know? Yeah. So what I was doing by being open and honest with God and, and praying and saying, Lord, this is how I feel. This is what I'm going through. And talking to the clinical social worker, and then eventually talking to my church family and saying, look, this is what I'm going through. I was able to empty that cup and fill it with God and fill it with the joy that he brings and fill it with hope, with healing, fill it with purpose. So I felt called to go to seminary. Yeah. Um, I went to Biola and I, I went into the Master of Divinity with an emphasis in pastoral care and counseling. And it was at Biola that I met other veterans and uh, I shared my story and I realized that they were also experiencing similar things. Right. So we came together and formed the Biola Veterans Association, and I found myself as the vice president of the Biola Veterans Association. Hmm. And my job, I was the vice president of communications. So I didn't even realize this, how how outgoing I was, how I was just, uh, it just felt so good to walk around school and I see someone with like a camel backpack or, or something that gave away that they're a veteran. And I just dart over to them. <laughs> What's up, dude? They're like, Whoa, what? like, who are you? I'm like, my name's Fernando. I'm with the Biola veterans association. Are you a veteran? Yes. You need to, you need to come join us, man. And then, you know, just recruiting. And we started to grow and to grow and to grow. And wow. I was, I was able to pray with them and I was able to, we were just able to heal together. And once I finished a uh, seminary, I thought, okay, God, look, I had plans when I got out of the military. Obviously, you had other plans. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I didn't think I was going to be in seminary. What is my purpose? What am I going to do? And I thought, maybe I'm called to be a chaplain at a hospital or a veteran's hospital. Well, the week after I graduated, my buddy that graduated a, a semester before me, his name is Joey DeLuca. Joey text messages me the week after I graduated, and he says, hey, I have a job for you. I was like, where? He says, the Orange County Rescue Mission. They need a veteran's case manager. And mm-hmm. the Orange County Rescue Mission is a um, faith-based Christian nonprofit organization in Orange County in the city of Tustin. It's an amazing organization. And so he says, why don't you come down and visit? So when I think rescue mission, I think of like in Los Angeles, we have Skid Row. And it's just, you know, 
tent city. Uh, you might get stabbed. You might, you know, what it's just the most disgusting environment. But when I went to the rescue mission, I thought I was at the wrong place. It looked like a college campus. Mm. And I thought, I called him. I said, Hey man, are you sure you gave me the right address? He's like, yeah, I could, I'm looking out my window. I could see you in the parking lot. So I got a tour of the place and I said, yes, I want to work here. And it was at the rescue mission that I was able to be a pastoral counselor to veterans and to meet them where they were and to help them process their trauma and help them uh, regain sobriety and uh, find a career and move forward. And it was there that I met my friend, Ryan Wong, where he started a nonprofit and he left the rescue mission to start his own nonprofit, which is where I am at now, the, the Step Forward Academy. Yeah. And uh, I left the rescue mission. I felt called that God wanted me to go. I felt called that I needed to write this book and share this story. So I dove into that. And then Ryan, he said, well, you know, I'd love to have you on my team. And here I am, you know, now I went from, from the trauma of war, processing the trauma after war, finding healing through Christ and confessing and being vulnerable and understanding as a man and as a, as a, as a warrior that the purpose, the ultimate purpose in life is to serve God. Mm. And how do you do that? You know, Jesus answered it when he was, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Mm. And the second commandment is like the first love your neighbor as yourself. It's when you love others, that you find community. It's when you love others that you find healing. It's when you love others that you practice humility and meeting people where they are. That the grace that Christ showed me, the love he showed me, I can now share that with everyone else. And that, that is my purpose and my goal. Wow. Wow. It's really cool. You know, I'm hearing you say some things that line up with um, the things that we teach in terms of helping people untangle trauma. And it really boils down to a couple components, right? It's, um, obviously you're, you, you're not going to be able to do this fully. You're not going to become, be able to become a whole person the way the the Lord has intended you to become how he's created you without Christ, right? Without, right. without the finished work of Jesus on the cross and death, burial and, and resurrection and that becoming realized in our own life, you know, because that there's, there's a freedom that happens when the Holy spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead indwells in you and is now moving and working to transform your mind, right? That's that's a huge component of the healing through trauma. But I'm also hearing you say purpose is a huge component, right? Being yeah. able to get up every single day, having something in front of you that's bigger than yourself yeah. that you get to partner with, that you get to take part in. And then community is a massive component. And it's like yeah. where you find the convergence of those things is where you begin to find healing and where you begin to find wholeness again. And that's, and that's powerful. That's powerful. And um, I wonder, you know, there are folks who are listening to this and they, they know someone who's a, a veteran. Uh, they have a family member, a friend, and they probably see very evidently their struggle, but they don't know what to do about it. Can yeah. you speak to that a little bit, you know, from someone like sitting in my seat, a civilian, right? Who's never experienced military life and I'm watching someone who has, and I don't quite, I can't relate to the trauma that they, but I know that they're struggling and hurting and I want to do something to help. What, what, what would you suggest? So from my personal experience, um, 
something that, that I noticed is it's hard to find people who listen. Most people don't know how to listen. You know, most people, if you come to them with a problem, they cut you off and they want to tell you, oh, this is what you need to do. This is what you should do. Like, oh, no, you, you lost me. You shut me down. Basically, even though you have good intentions, when, when people do that, I, 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 you know, I'm going to say, give them the benefit of the doubt. They have good intentions. Yeah. But really what they're doing is they're saying that what you have to share is not important. So mm. how do you help somebody? establish a relationship, a friendship with them. You don't need to dive right in. Even if you know you're a veteran, uh, something that, that bothers me and still does to this day when someone finds out I'm a veteran and they just immediately go right into, you know, did you kill anyone? Did you, Mm. you know, like they start asking very personal questions right off the bat. You know, imagine this, I'm a, you know, I hope this doesn't offend anyone listening imagine you you come in contact with someone and you find out they're a rape victim which most ptsd in this country is from sexual trauma right it's not war veterans it really isn't so do you just ask that person what was it like to get raped you know you're violating you're violating that that the their how to explain this yeah it's a very sensitive, sacred very, issue with yeah, them. Yeah, it's and a very personal issue. Yeah, you're going right into them, uh, uh, and they're not going to be vulnerable about that with just anybody, right? Right. Like, to your point, you hid your trauma right for years because you didn't feel comfortable, you didn't feel safe talking to anybody about it. So why would somebody just talk? You know, why would you just talk to somebody random on the street about it? Right. Yes. Yeah. That's why. Uh, respecting boundaries, respecting, understanding that um, what people have gone through, what, what that soldier, sailor, uh, airman, marine has gone through, what the sexual trauma victim has gone through, what, you know, the car accident victim has gone through, any, any, uh, how do you help somebody establish a friendship, mm. build the trust, just be there. You don't need to ask these intrusive questions. You don't need to violate their trust you when you establish a friendship and just be there for the person and 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 do as christ did i think of the 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 woman at the well he met her where she was in her life he met her mm-hmm. you know she's at the well and she's like why are you talking to me i'm a samaritan i'm i'm you know you're not supposed to talk to me i'm i'm considered an outcast and no to jesus he's like no i'm here however you feel whatever you've gone through um, I'm here for you. And that's how we're supposed to be with others. Be there for the person, establish a friendship, be there. And eventually that trust will build and, and they, they will share when they're ready. And yeah. when they do listen, just mm-hmm. listen, listen, do not ask intrusive questions. Just identify with what they're expressing with their emotions and if the opportunity comes and you'll know when you, you got to ask for discernment on this, maybe you could in a loving way say, if you know what, I, if you need help, I would love to be there with you to help you find that help. Mm. But it takes that's building good. that friendship and trust first. That's, that, that's the beginning of how you help somebody. I love the way you said that. I would, I would love, if you need help, I would love to be there with you to help you find that help because one, it assumes and doesn't presume that you are the help that they need. 
Right. And I think that sometimes that's where we get in trouble a lot when we kind of presume that's where, that's where the whole, this is what you should do or here's what, right. And not listening. That's where that stems from. You know, it's like almost assuming that you know the answer or that you can be the help that that person needs. And while that might be coming from altruistic, pure motives, it's, it's, it honestly is kind of arrogant, right? Yeah. To think that you are that person's help and instead just be that person's friend. Right. And walk with them as they're finding the right credible help that they need. Yeah. That's really good, man. That's really good, man. So, um, you know, I, I wonder what you would say to the church, you know, as institution, as an organization, but also to, you know, as the body of Christ, as believers, you know, how, how can we be more aware of, be more cognizant of, be more sensitive to, um, these issues pertaining to veterans? You know, I know that toward the beginning of this conversation, that was something that was really pivotal. You said for yourself was that you didn't feel like you could trust the church. Um, what does that look like? I mean, if you're standing in front of a church leadership conference or something and you're going, Hey, yeah. here's what I would suggest. This is something that everybody needs to start to implement or be aware of. How can we help veterans and, and their families when so much of the wounds are invisible or hidden or covered or that, you know, we're not aware of it. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, so first we need to understand that the church is not a building. The church is not uh, on Sunday, you know. Um, I mean, yeah, go to church. Do not neglect your gathering together. Yeah, you need to go to this building where we worship together. And we, re- you know, it's, church is like the huddle. You you get there, you recharge and like, okay, let's get back out there. Let's, let's continue yeah. to share the gospel. But we are the body. We are the body of Christ. We, 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 the believers are the church. We are people who are saved by grace, sinners saved by grace, that God could take us in our brokenness and not only bring healing to us, but we also bring healing to each other. Mm. It's about community. So what I would say first, I would approach a pastor or leadership committee at a church and say, uh, other than Sunday service, what else are you doing? Mm. Um, you know, it, and that's what I like about Mariner's Church, where I go. I go to Mariner's Church in Tustin, but we're a part of a mega church, Mariner's Church in Irvine, and there are several campuses. But the the thing that Mariner's Church does is build community. There are men's groups, women's groups. Like it's uh, it's not just so. For example, I lead two groups: one on Tuesday, one on Thursday. Men's groups, right? I'm a veteran. There's other veterans there, but there's also non-veterans. We're just men. We're men. Yeah. We're, we're, we're believers, we're, we're brothers in Christ, and we meet for two hours, two hours. The first hour, we go around and we share what we're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, confidentiality, what is said here stays here. There's no judgment. Let's go around. And mm-hmm. people share and open and we pray for each other. And, you know, that's not Sunday church. And it's not just, yeah, the word is important. Sure, it is. Absolutely. But instead of just having a Bible study where you just like dive right into the word, which is absolutely important. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not, but how about taking the time to make small groups and do these Bible studies and have a setting where you can actually vent and process and know each other and, and and be involved in each other's lives. 
yeah. and then dive into the word and see how you can apply it to your life. That's how you build a community. Yeah. And when I go to church, it's not just, Hey, you, I see you on Sunday and we hug and we were in this building and then cool. See you next Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's what's up, bro. I know you, I know your struggles. I can check up on you. You can check up on me. Yeah. Um, and, and man, the community it builds. Next thing you know, you're being invited to barbecues and uh, you have a family, you know, it's, it's the community, it's a family and, yeah. and you have people you can trust and, and, and I don't know if I answered your question, but no, it's, it's great. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's so not just a building and it's not just Sunday. Yeah. That's, that's so good because um, when I was pastoring a local church, one of the things I tried to tell our, our congregants is, is what you're doing and seeing here on Sunday, this is just the tip of the iceberg, right? There yeah. should be so much more underneath in the underbelly, what can't necessarily be seen, right? That, that, that almost can't even be displayed on our website, right? If you were going to view our website, like you're going to probably see pictures and videos flashing of like our worship service and stuff. And that's great, right? That's yeah. you draw people to the church. That's fine, right? But that should not be anywhere near the extent of what we're doing here as the body of believers, right? Yeah. That's just like, a little tiny blip on it and everything else is this community. And that is so important. I think that's what we've got to get back to. I think that a lot of what happened over the past couple of years in, you know, um, with, with shutdowns, with COVID and stuff, it kind of revealed that in the church, that those churches that had a really strong network of community, right. A network of small groups. And that those are the ones that stayed strong in the midst of that. And the ones that didn't, you, you saw that they really faltered, you know, and some of them, some of them didn't survive that because that's all they had was this Sunday gathering. And I think um, it's, it's imperative right now, especially what you're saying with the struggles with, you know, trauma and pain and grief and hardship. We live such a, a busy life that we've got to have these spaces that are safe for us to know each other, to be known fully. And then to open up God's word and go, okay, well, what, what is it, what we're going through and what we're transparent and vulnerable about? How does God's word apply in our own lives? Um, and, and, and that's, that's huge, man. That's imperative. But I think a lot of people just don't know how to do that. Yeah. They don't know how to be vulnerable. Yeah. And I think it comes, na- being vulnerable comes naturally. Again, when you build a friendship mm-hmm. and trust, that's key. That's key, you know, and you're just, you're not going to, you're not going to be vulnerable if you cannot trust somebody to be vulnerable to or with, you know, Um, it's about relationship. Mm. And I remember when I was in seminary, um, one of my professors, we were talking about church and like what church is like, just what we're talking about right now. And he said, um, church is a, it's, relationships it's building relationships you are a family think about this your church family is more in this controversial your church family is more important than your biological family Mm. because we are the we will be together for eternity Mm. there's there's people in my family that have rejected christ there's people in my family and i pray for them and i love them you know uh i do with that said our church family, we are called to be a brothers and sisters, to be joined together, to, to, you know, we're the body of Christ. We have a purpose and only together can we serve that purpose. Only yeah. together 
you know, what's the, we, we, you know, back to where we started, what's the purpose, what's the mission, how do you motivate people to be together yeah. and come together? Well, what's the goal? What's the vision? We're mm -hmm. on our way. We're, we're, we're looking towards the prize, you know, we're pressing onward towards heaven. And along yeah. the way, we're going to preach the gospel. And in order to accomplish that, we got to be together and we got to be humble and we got to be selfless and loving. Wow. Wow. I heard a church planter yesterday. His kids go to my kids' school. So we're, we're chatting. He talked about how they, they did covenant relationship as they started to launch this church. They had like 50 people yeah. launching this church and they decided to go into covenant relationship. And I was like, what, what does that mean? What are you talking about? You know? And I think that so much of our church community is very, can seem very contractual, right? Not formally contractual, but just like transactional and contractional where it's like, as long as this church is fulfilling what I need, what my family needs, then we'll, right. we'll remain here and we'll, 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 we'll give here. Maybe we'll tithe, you know, um, and we'll serve, but, yeah. but I think we've lost that covenant relationship because again, there's another church down the street. There's another you know, we're all in FOMO. We can see everything from Instagram. We can experience yeah. the best teachers all over the country and stuff. And so we don't understand what it means to covenant with each other to remain in relationship. And, you know, you have that perspective from military life. Right. Right. It may not be called covenant relationship, but man, it's a covenant relationship, this band of brothers that you experienced. Yeah. And I just wonder what would happen if the church experienced and, and understood how to implement that kind of community, that kind of relationship with each other. You know, what could happen? How much more um, effective could we be in advancing the kingdom of God and the mission of God? Yeah, man, imagine that covenant, right? That's the key. I like that word because think about uh, the covenant relationship we have with God. It's, um, he keeps his, his word, his promises. He is faithful. We can never be separated from his love. If yeah. we had that thing, you know, we understood that we have a covenant relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ um, to love each other, to, you know, consider, you know, each other above ourselves. Imagine how that would trickle in our communities. Imagine how, you know, in marriages, these divorce rates that we see, if, if people could understand that marriage is a covenant relationship as well. And just because you have a disagreement about, with your wife or your husband about whatever, I don't know what you're going to have for dinner. That's not grounds to just walk away. Right. Um, right. You know, you're going to go through struggles, but it's not just, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm ready to jump ship. Instead. It's like, no, uh, there is no leaving this. It is a covenant. Yeah. So death do us part. Those words mean something. When you said, I, I believe in Jesus Christ and that he died for my sins and that only he can heal me. You entered a covenant relationship when, yeah. uh, you know, when you, you believe in Christ and now you're at a church and you're, which you should be at a church. If you're not, you need to get to one and you find the community. You have entered a covenant relationship with that community that people will disappoint you. People will say things that offend you, whatever it is um, to find healing and to, to be able to reconcile and to be able to, uh, to show the love that the love that we've experienced from Christ to be able to, to share that love with others. That word covenant is so, so key and very important. I think that's something that, um, Man, we just talked about covenant for like another hour. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I want to I want to talk about this book a little bit. What your hopes are for the book, The Shadow of Death. You've got it. If you're watching this on YouTube, guys, you you can see it right there behind Fernando. The the cover right there, so it's recognizable for you if you're looking for it on the bookstores or on Amazon. 
But tell me about this book. What is it? What what should the reader expect? I want to make sure everybody gets an opportunity to pick this up. Um, and so we'll have it in the show notes. We'll have it there on the podcast page for you guys to easily access it. Um, but what, what what was your your hope and your your intention for this? What what do you hope the reader experiences? Um, my hopes and intentions. I've gotten a lot of feedback from my veteran, the my vet bros, I call them my vet bros, my <laughs> you know the, the guys I serve with. Mm-hmm. Uh, who have already read the book or listened to the audio, uh, the audio book. And it's a lot of good feedback, but the one thing I'm hearing constantly is, uh, thank you for sharing your story because a lot of these guys, they tell me that they say, my wife doesn't even know this. I don't mm-hmm. even share that with my wife. Wow. My hope, my hope and intention was to be vulnerable, to share my personal experience going through war and, and the healing that God brought to me. Yeah. So that others may know that there is hope and healing in Christ that, um, that other guys would be willing to, you know, stop carrying these burdens of trauma and be willing to lay it down and confess and find healing. And, you know, so many of my friends, you know, so many of my friends have committed suicide. Mm. It's just sad that a lot of guys that I know haven't even lived past the age of 45. So that's too young. That's too young. And, and it's not even, uh, it's because of suicide. I want to end that. Yeah. I want to end that. I want to, I want my, my purpose. What people can expect is to read a story that is vivid. Uh, I've been told it is very vivid. Uh, there, there is, uh, I didn't hold back. I'll yeah, tell you that. It's good. I didn't hold back. I want, I want the reader to experience what I experienced in war. To, you know, bring them to the closest thing it is to actually have gone to war so that you can understand the struggle of, of, you know, coming back after war and the, and, and the, the, the healing that can take place if you would simply be honest and surrender your life to Christ. Wow. That's so good. That's so good. Well, the book is called the shadow of death. Fernando, this is an incredible, this has been an incredible conversation. I, I know we could sit down and talk about this for a couple of more hours. And, um, and I appreciate your time. I appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable with us. And, and just, you know, even the tenderness of just sharing your, um, you know, that really critical moment where the Lord rescued you um, in, in the the grips and the clutches of death right there. And just, a, I, I see God's hand all over you, man. I see his anointing. I see that you have been raised up for, for a time such as this and the purposes that you're fulfilling. And so, I mean, I just want to affirm that in you, I, I just, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate the work that that you're stepping into. And um, I know it's, I know it's hard and I know it's fulfilling all at the same time. Yeah. So man, thanks for being willing to be used um, as, as a vessel. So it's awesome, man. Thanks for spending time with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. And I hope that um, I know God will use this and, and, you know, that it reaches all the right people um, to bring hope and healing to whomever will listen. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, Once again, I mean, if we say this every time, it gets repetitive, but such an incredible interview. And again, in honor of Veterans Veterans Day, Davey and I are so grateful for your service. And I think this conversation that you had with Fernando this seeks to really the weight that our many of our military carry yeah. in their post-military life is yeah. real, right? Yeah. And you're right. There's healing that's possible. I love that Fernando shares the story because of that, but what a wild well, one. I love that he's shared a story. He's also 
using his experience and he's helping other people in purposeful mission and ministry right which now. Which is so nothing is wasted. Which is so nothing is wasted. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, he has found a purpose after, you know, you heard, you heard him talk about this, how difficult it was to find that purpose yeah. after serving in the military. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine, I mean, I can only imagine the intensity that you experience of that kind of a just, uh, intense is probably the, rest of the intense purpose that you're every single day you're on mission and then yeah. to kind of come back into civilian life and go, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Right. right. And so right. Uh, I can't imagine how difficult that is to re-regulate, um, reorient oh. after that. And okay. man, what an amazing moment where okay. this, the Bible flies off the desk. Aubrey. How cool is that? I, I mean, Cool might be an like under, an understatement. I was shocked when I which by the way, let me put a pin in this for a second. This this interview was so difficult to capture. We had so many technical issues on this, and we don't have that often. We had oh. so many technical issues, which tells me that yeah. there was some there was some supernatural resistance that totally. was happening in this interview. So totally. I mean, the Lord really came through. We finally just kind of had to scrap a whole bunch of the normal technology that we use and just really mm. try to cobble this thing together and figure it out. So huge props to our editors wow. for making this happen. However, like the the enemy has been warring against Fernando and his work and what's going on, Dang. but you can also see God showing up in supernatural ways uh, it, in it, his, his story. It's so unbelievable. And I, Davey, you and I actually kind of, before recording, we're talking about some of our own experiences of just the yeah. supernatural presence of God and things God has done or things that have happened that you're like, okay, only the Lord could do this. Right. right. And this, my story is not the same. I have many stories, but this one particular story, Fernando's reminded me of it. And it's not to the same degree as his, because his was in the middle of deep, deep trauma. Mm. But as a young girl, I remember one night um, being so afraid of the dark. And I honestly felt like there were, this may sound kooky to some listeners or other listeners will be like, yep, I know exactly what we were talking about. Mm. I felt like there was like some evil presence in this. I was staying at yeah. somebody's house. There was some evil yeah. presence in this room and I could mm. not sleep. And even as a young girl, I was like very aware, like aware something's wow. going on here. And I'm praying, I get up, I'm pacing. And I'm a little, I mean, not yeah. little like nine, but I think I was probably 11 or 12. And I was like, I need to go get a Bible and I need to wow. read the Bible. And so I snuck out into the living room, which I was scared to do because it was somebody else's house. I found a Bible. I knew they were a, a family of believers, or at least some believers in the home, brought it back into the room. And I was just like, God, I need some scripture to help me go mm. back to sleep. And Davy, the pages of the Bible started turning by themselves and landed wow. right on the Proverbs that says, when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster wow. or the rule that overtakes oh the wicked. Because of that, you know, your sleep will be sweet. Wow. And and it was one of those moments where I was like looking around like, is there a fan on? No. Is the air conditioning on? No. The mm. pages of my Bible literally turned. And sometimes Man. I forget that happened. Yeah. And then every once in a while, the Lord brings it to mind and I'm like, God, I don't know why I doubt you. Like you do yeah. these supernatural things that... <sighs> I think sometimes you just forget, but yeah. then when you remember, you're like, okay, God, your your presence yeah. is real. Oh, yeah. you know, say the Bible flying off of his desk to right. stop him from ending his life. Okay, God, you're real. I mean, there's right. nothing else you can do but go, okay, God, you're real. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. I think we just I think we underestimate and downplay the spiritual battle that That's is at, true. 
You're There's right. a play at all times, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, the, uh, the old Piper thing that he's talking about, like, like make war because, right? Like, we're, and that's specifically around sin, but having the the idea or the mindset that we're in a battle, we're not yeah. at peacetime, we're at wartime. Like, yeah. the, there is a yeah. battle that is raging and being waged mm. in the unseen places at all times. Mm. And I think in the American Western culture, we forget that because totally. we are inoculated by comfort, yeah. Yeah. convenience, yeah. stuff, everything we need, distraction, yeah. right? And so I remember reading, you, you know, the um, the C.S. Lewis book, um, uh, the one with Wormwood, uh, the Screw Tape Letters. Screw Tape Letters, yes. And one of the things that he talked about was like the difference between, or he alluded to this in the book, the difference between like a third world country and like a first world country. And then the enemy has different strategies in each one of these. Uh-huh. The first world country, it's to distract and busy. Yes. Right? Which is funny because the Hellenistic culture way back when Alexander the Great brought Hellenism, his whole ploy was people won't meddle in what we're doing mm. politically if we bring them entertainment. If they're distracted. If we bring yep. them sports, if we bring them abundance, yep. they'll be happy. And we yep. can do whatever we want to behind the scenes. And yep. that's kind of like a picture of the enemy's strategy Wild. with first world culture. Yeah. Whereas third world culture, if you've ever been to a third world country, mm-hmm. you know, my dad grew up in Haiti as a missionary's kid and I've been there before. There's a lot of awareness of the supernatural, but the enemy uses that as a fear mongering or a fear yes. tactic. Yes. So trying to f- cause people to be afraid. And so they, they kind of essentially put themselves in bondage to these powers, yes. these dark powers, That's so to very speak, true. and so Haiti is yeah. a Haiti is a, 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 a sync- sync- syncretistic syn- mm-hmm. is that what it is? Syncretistic culture, syncretistic yeah. culture. What that means or is, is syncretist there is culture, syncretist, yeah, yeah. So there is a heavy influence of Catholicism and a heavy influence of Voodooism, and they've mixed those two essentially yeah. religions together, yeah. and that's what's at play is, there. Is like the mixing of religions for people who yes, don't know. Yes, the right. Mixing of Thank you, beliefs. Aubrey. Yeah, Thanks for. Yeah. Yep. bringing the tough cookies to the bottom shelf yep. for us. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to do that. <laughs> uh, so, so what I experienced when we were in, um, it was my first touch with the supernatural uh, at 12 years old was when, when I went to Haiti, my dad took me there as like a rite of passage in a manhood kind of trip. Mm, cool. And we spent two weeks there. First week was in the mountains of, of Port Margo, which is like the Northern part of Haiti. Okay. And we would go to bed at night. They would shut the village lights off because wow. of just power conservation. They would shut sure. them off at nine o'clock. You go to bed at night, you're lying awake, listening to drums in the background up on the hillsides, of the mountains that were wow. actual voodoo drums, right? So these ceremonies that were taking place, you're just Whoa. like aware of this Whoa. kind of really evil, dark yeah, force that's creepy. That, that inhabits and like oppresses this, this country. Mm. So then we're driving back, Aubrey, from Port Margo to Port-au-Prince, the capital of uh, of Haiti. Mm-hmm. We were about to spend the next week out at the island, Laganov. And so we had to make it to Port-au-Prince before nightfall. And the reason is, is because it was the time of year, like around Mardi Gras. Yeah. And so they would have these pre-Mardi Gras parties Whoa. in these villages where they would do a lot of, I mean, really despicable things. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it would happen at nightfall and two weeks before us being there, they had, they, had, they had killed, they had drug out in the village and killed two missionaries during one of these pre Mardi Gras parties. Um, they were called raw Ra's is what they called them. So I just remember at 12 years old, my grandfather, who was the missionary there, my dad was a missionary's kid, my dad, my grandmother, all of them being very adamant about, we've got to make it back before sure, nightfall. Sure. Well, the roads in Haiti are 
awful. They're deplorable. I mean, it's just, so you don't know how to anticipate how long it's going to take you. Mm, right, so we're right. all in this Land Rover, like going back to Port-au-Prince. We don't make it by nightfall. It's starting to be dusk. We get to the last village uh, before Port-au-Prince and this, there's an assembly that's starting to happen in this road. It's, it's a, a rah-rah. And it was, it got so, by the time we got there, it had, had assembled so, uh, uh, so many people had collected in the village that we couldn't drive through the main road there. Mm. And we're trying to inch our way through this crowd. Yeah. And it got to the place where this crowd surrounded our car and, and we were stopped. Davey. So here I am sitting on the back, like bump seat uh-huh. of the back seat. My grandfather's driving. My grandmother's in the front seat. My dad's sitting next to me and another missionary is on the other side. My dad like turns to shield me in case a rock comes through. And my, all I remember is my grandfather's just praying. My, both my grandfather and grandmother just praying just mm. out loud. Wow. And Aubrey, I'm sitting on the back bump. I'm looking forward and this, the car starts shaking like this. Cause people are just like, people are. Yeah. Right. Davey. This is There's this, what you would imagine a witch doctor to look like uh-huh. walks out in front. He was clearly the leader of this whole thing. Yeah. Comes out in front of the car, starts yelling um, and then he starts pounding the hood of the car. Come on. And I'm, I mean, it like the prayer that's going on. And I'm like, just like, I'm spooked. I have no idea what's going on. 12 years old on some level. I don't know how serious this is, but on another level, I'm like, this seems really serious. Yeah. Yeah. And I watched this witch doctor's eyes go from looking at us, just start pounding the hood of the car. And he looks up above our car all of a sudden and gets like deer in the headlights. Stop it. And then he immediately just parts the, it's like parting the Red Sea. He just moves everybody out of the way. Come on. And lets us go right through. Come on. Craziest thing I've ever Come experienced on. in terms of yeah. just a very real touch of the supernatural. Absolutely. That's what it was. And it was like, it was, mm. it's seared into me in my memory of just like, man, mm. there is a very real battle going on. We have no idea the times that God shows up for us in these moments. Mm. Unbelievable. And, you know, Aubrey, as I say this, I'm also very aware of the fact yeah. that there are a lot of people who are like, well, that's great that God showed up in that kind of a very real way for Fernando and yeah. has for you guys, but where's my yeah. Bible flying off the desk story? Yep. You know? Yep. I, I think that is a, I think that's a fantastic question because I, I think that's the question everybody's asked. That's amazing. I love hearing that. That's so incredible. Where's my sort of supernatural miracle mm-hmm. or where's God showing up? for me in this situation or the, I mean, even sometimes I think we get in situations where like other people are getting prophetic words and we're not, right. and we're like, where's my word, you know? Right. And right. it begin, it can begin to feel like, does God love treasure value that mm. person more than more. me? Uh, Which is a lie from the enemy, by the way. Absolutely. Um, and yet it's a very easy lie to believe. It's a very, because there's like proof in the pudding. Like, well, they right. got something that I didn't get. So right. wh- why them? What makes right. them special? Mm-hmm. And I, I I think the way that we wrestle through that is we acknowledge that that's wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I and I think there are some places to land though. And I'd love to hear your thought, but I'll I'll give mm-hmm. mine really quickly, Davey. I think one place we land is kind of like Job, where we're like, mm-hmm. hey, this is the Lord's deal, and God gets to do what God wants to do. And yeah. our our call ultimately is Christians. Like, like, and I mean, this is like, this right. is like deep, mature faith, what I'm about to say. Right. Our call as Christians is we don't worship God for those moments. Yeah. We don't worship God for so like good. 
blessings. We don't worship God for benefits. We don't worship God for like these supernatural things. We worship God for God's sake alone Mm. because Jesus is all that we need. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the bonus. You know what I'm saying? And so it's deep, mature faith to be like, even if God doesn't show up with these, the Bible flying off the table, I will choose to worship him because he's all I need. And that's that's the call of mature faith, but that's hard because it means when everything else is stripped away. Right. You're like, okay, I'm still going to worship God. Yeah. Simultaneously, I'm going to say the other thing is going to sound like the opposite of what I just said. Sometimes mm. it's that we're not looking. Mm. Do you know what I mean? We're not pausing. So like, you know, yep. Moses almost missed the burning bush, but like he paused yep. to be yep. like, oh, that bush is Wait, on fire, but it's not odd. What's being happening? consumed. Right. So some of it is like, are we slowing down in our life mm. to practice the presence of God and see wow. where God is? Wow. doing his own version of the Bible flowing off the desk <laughs> in our lives. There are yep. holy moments all around us. Like the veil yep. is thin because of God's goodness. But we do in our, like you said, in our American <sighs> society, we're so distracted. Like are we, we might be missing these incredible supernatural wow. things God is doing all around us. Wow. Whew. Man, Aubrey, I don't even know if I have anything to add to that. I mean, I think both of those points are so, so good and very helpful for us. To remember, right? Let's not build our theology around yes. the fantastical, right? Amen. Around yeah. the, because that is just chasing something that is that is elusive that you can't. I mean, and, can't it, and your emotions that. are going to ride this. Mm-hmm. I mean, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. Is what Scripture tells us in John chapter four. Jesus said, "This is what a tr- this is going to characterize a true worshiper that you're going to be grounded in this truth." And so that grounding in that truth means the in Habakkuk, where it says, even if, yes, right, I'm right. still going to trust in you, you yep. know? So that's a tr- that's truth. I'm, I'm, I'm grounding myself in the faithfulness of God, even if I cannot see it, yep. even if I cannot perceive it, I'm choosing to trust in that. That's, that's a truth that's grounded. And then also being aware of the spirit mm-hmm. and where it's going to move us and move our yeah. souls, move our spirit, move our emotions, yeah. move our... But but one it, thinking about things too binary, which often is the place that we land, yeah. especially with certain with denominations, it's like yep. we get way too binary. Yeah, landing in one of those camps solely is is um, diluting the experience that Jesus has for us, the real personal experience that He has for us. Right. If we just land on the emotional and and, and we're just thinking about the personal, then we're missing the substance and the depth. Yeah. From which that spirit comes, right? Amen. And then if we just land in this like hard-lined truth, but no experience, no experience of the spirit, then we're like, yeah. it it's going to squeeze out and and quench yep. some of this personal thing that God is doing yeah. in your life, and that happens in trauma, right? Where we where we need to be aware of those things mm-hmm. and in just normal followership of Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I do believe that God will show up for you in very personal ways. I've yep. said that over yep. and over and over. He's not going to show up in your timing and you cannot coerce him. Yep. You cannot corner him. Yep. You cannot manipulate him yep. into doing that. He is God. That's right. That's right. And he does what he does. And so use some of these stories as encouragement yeah. to say, man, God is real. Praise God. And I know that he's going to show up for me the way I need him to show up for me. Yeah, that's good. We're obviously passionate here at Nothing Is Wasted <laughs> about partnering with you to find God Man. in the middle of your story, right? Like that's why we do what we do. 
And so we would love to invite you. Keep listening to the stories that we're sharing here on the podcast. But yeah. we also would love to invite you to go to nothingiswasted.com slash community. We've got community, our community platform there, Community Plus, with all kinds of resources built specifically with you in mind so you can partner with God to take back your story. And so you can find God in these supernatural truth right. and spirit ways that Davey's talking about. We That's also right. want to sleep, thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Yep. You can follow us on Instagram. We'd love to interact with you there. Um, we'd love for you to ask questions or whatever you want to do, you know, just share your story of how God's taking you from pain to purpose. Mm -hmm. Follow nothing is wasted ministries at nothing is wasted ministries. You can follow me at Davy Blackburn and you can follow Aubrey at Obsamp. And uh, we want to make sure that we, we just, we ask if you would do us a favor to like, and subscribe to the YouTube and we're on YouTube. So you can watch this. We can watch this interaction. I keep forgetting we're that. Right I keep telling you, I need I know, to like, get my makeup cool. right. And like, I know. My love. <laughs> no, Aubrey, you look great. <laughs> I know. It's funny, right? When you think about just being yeah, podcast like, oh, radio, man. then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I got to actually can see me. <laughs> show up here. Yeah. So so like and subscribe to YouTube. Give Aubrey right. a big old wink. Tell her that That's she looks right. great. Please. And we'd also love for you to rate and review on Apple podcasts. Um, next week, we have a great conversation with Joan Kelly. So let's go ahead and take a listen to my to a little clip from my conversation with Joan Kelly. It's like God is acknowledging, yeah, like it's hard. There's suffering and homelessness beyond words, and it is awful. I agree with you. And I want you to grieve. And I don't want you to forget. Remembering is an important part of our grieving. But then yeah. there's that line, that pivotal line in there. It says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Mm -hmm. Can I get to the point in my grief where I can still dare to hope? And in the beginning, maybe I do need to borrow that hope from somebody else or from some other time in my story until I can get to the point where I can dare to hope again and be reminded that God is faithful and good and He does show up each morning with these hand-picked mercies for me that I'm going to need today.